Good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. This last Sunday night, we got all the city group leaders together for a meeting to, to share with one another some of the things that the Lord has been doing in our city groups this last session and to start praying for and planning for the fall and in August when we restart our city groups. And, uh, and church, let me tell you, I know you guys already know this, but we are really blessed with some amazing city group leaders, aren't we? And uh, yeah, yeah, let's, the least we could do is, is applaud them, and you could also, yeah, go, go thank them, go honor them for the time they put in preparing to host you in their homes, to, to lead the groups for you. And one of the things that was just really encouraging as we were together was to hear, uh, was to hear about the spiritual fruit that was being experienced in these groups. And sure, every, every group has its challenges, right? But, but to hear how in each group there were people growing in their love for Christ and for others. There were people in every group growing in their love for the word. To, to hear about the community that was being cultivated in our groups, how, how sin was being exposed and confessed and turned from, to see how people are being cared for and, and meeting the needs of one another, and how truly that we are enjoying life in Christ together. It was, it was really encouraging to hear that fruit that, w- that was being produced and experienced in our city groups. And so if you are not currently in a city group, I would highly encourage you to jump into one starting in August when they restart back up because fruit is being produced in these groups. And isn't, isn't this what we all want in our lives, right? We want, we want good fruit, we, right? We want, to, we want good fruit to grow here in this, in this body of Christ. And that can look like physical fruit, right? Like when a man and a woman come together and they have a child or they adopt a child into their family and their family grows, right? It can also look like spiritual fruit, where we see the fruit of the Spirit growing in someone's life, where we see someone growing in their love for God and their love for others and that continuing to multiply and overflow in their life. God desires for there to be good fruit grown here. And the good fruit that is grown here is not only going to be a blessing to us, but it's going to be a blessing to our city and to our county and to our world. But here's the thing about good fruit. Good fruit cannot be manufactured. And I don't have the secret recipe to do this, to add this, say this, pray this, go here, and then you've got some wonderful fruit from God and for God. I don't have the recipe that we can manufacture this fruit, but here's, here's what we do know and what we will learn this morning. We will learn this morning, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we now have a new relationship to the law. We now have a new relationship with Christ, and that provides us the power to produce fruit and the right motivation to pursue fruit for God. All right, that's where we're going this morning, right? Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we now have a new relationship to the law, and we're going to have to understand what this relationship to the law is. We have a new relationship with Christ, and that provides us the power to produce fruit and the right motivation to pursue fruit for God. All right, we want the power to produce and the right motivation to pursue fruit for God this morning. And in order for us to get there, that's where we're going, we have to first understand what our relationship with the law of God has been in the past and what it is now in our present. 
And this has been confusing for Christians throughout the years to understand our relationship with the law. Like, I think many of us were still a little confused, find it a bit complex as to what our relationship with the law is, right? If Facebook asked us what our relationship status is with the law, we'd probably answer, it's complicated, right? At least that's how, I mean, or, or no relationship. There's no relationship with the law. Or it's complicated. And many of us, you see, we live with either a wrong relationship with the law or no relationship with the law of God. And because of this, we are not bearing good fruit for God. And my prayer this morning is that God, through Romans 7, will help us come to a better understanding of what our relationship should be with the law of God. And that's really what Romans 7 is about. Right? Romans 7 is the chapter that we all like to try to wrestle and wrestle with later on in the chapter. You know, is Paul talking about a believer, an, an unbeliever? Is he talking about a healthy believer or an immature, unhealthy believer? And we'll talk through that. We'll get to those verses. I'm going to stall a couple more weeks before we get there. But we can't get too caught up in that, that we miss what God's trying to teach us here in Romans 7. And there he's trying to teach us what our relationship should be like with the law. He's trying to teach us how the law fits into God's purposes for us and how, in fact, we do bear good fruit for God. All right? That's what Romans 7 is about. Now, if you haven't been with us, we're just coming out of Romans 6. We're just going verse by verse through Romans. You might think this is maybe even a weird text for Father's Day. Uh, We did not pick this for Father's Day. We are just preaching through the book of Romans, all right? And in Romans 6, Paul asks the question, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, no way. He says, you are dead to sin, meaning that sin no longer rules and reigns over you. And last week, you'll remember, we learned that we all have a master we are serving. We are either serving sin or we are serving Christ. And in serving sin, we live more and more like a slave, being enslaved to sin. And in serving Christ, we experience more and more freedom. And real freedom is only truly experienced through serving Christ. And now, Paul, he's continuing his exhortation for us to not continue in sin by showing us our relationship with the law and who we now belong to, and by understanding and seeing and believing this, our hearts will be better prepared to no longer pursue sin, but to bear fruit for God. All right, let's pray, and we will jump into the passage this morning. Father, we do cry out to you, asking for your help. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gathering of believers. We thank you for the gift that this is, Lord, that we can come together to worship you in spirit and in truth. But Father, we we come in here this morning with, with everything that's going on in our, in our world, Lord, and we, we come in, some of us, with, with questions and confusion and not understanding, Lord, how you are working. We wonder why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain. We wonder why kings and rulers of the earth have set themselves against you. But, Lord, we know that this does not intimidate you. You laugh at those who plot against you and your people. And so we gather here this morning to declare that, Jesus, you are our king. 
We trust that the nations are your heritage and the ends of the earth are your possession. And therefore, we take refuge in you this morning. We do ask that you would prepare our hearts to be good soil, to receive your good word. And we ask that you would produce good fruit here for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, look with me now at Romans 7, verse 1. Romans 7, verse 1. God's word says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. All right, now Paul is turning his attention here, much like he did in Romans chapter 2, to those who have more of a religious background. Right To those who are familiar with the law of God. You'll remember when he's preaching through Romans 1 and Romans 2, a lot of us felt a lot of that conviction in Romans 2 as ones with a religious background and a knowledge of the scriptures, right? Well, he's, he's, he's putting the flashlight on you once again this morning, and, and he's, he's addressing those with a religious background, those who are maybe more familiar with the law of God. And in that day, both Jews and God-fearing Gentiles would have had some familiarity with the law of God. And so we don't need to separate this out as only those with a Jewish background can listen to what he's about to say. No, Paul is always trying to show us how Jew and Gentile are brought together in Christ. Christ is the unifier of Jew and Gentile, not the divider. And that those who share the faith of Abraham are truly the children of Abraham. All right, so, so Christians in the Roman churches came from both a Jewish and Gentile background. They all would have had some familiarity with the law, some certainly more than others. And here Paul is trying to teach us why we should not continue in sin so that grace may abound. And he's doing this by showing us what our relationship with the law is like. And he starts with verse 1 by saying that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, that word binding means lord over, all right? The law has dominion and is lord over the person who is still living, but when that person dies, they are free from the law. Now, everyone can understand this, right, just from understanding laws in general. For example, right, the the speed limit does not apply to a dead man. Right? If we put a dead body in a car and put it on cruise control and send them down the highway at 100 miles per hour and the cops pull them over, say, hey, you broke the law, the person is dead. There's no punishment a breaking of the law can bring on a dead person. Right? We all can understand this with a knowledge of just laws in general. But he then goes into a marriage illustration here in verse 2. He says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives... But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, he's not trying to teach about marriage and remarriage and divorce here. He's trying to give an illustration to help us understand our relationship to the law and to Christ. All right, Because he follows it here with verse 4. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, 
our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see, we were bearing fruit for death, but now we are to be bearing fruit for God. But in order to have the power to produce fruit for God and the right motivation to pursue fruit for God, we have to understand our relationship with the law and our relationship with Christ. All right, now this this illustration, it can get a little confusing if you don't understand who's who in the illustration, all right? And it might seem like the most simple way to view this is to see the law as like our old husband and Christ as our new husband. And some think that. Some have interpreted this that way. I think it's an okay understanding, but I think it it gets then weird because Paul doesn't say that the law dies. He says in verse 4 that we are the ones who die, right? So that now we can be married to Christ. And and, and because of some people maybe seeing the illustration in that way, wrong conclusions can be drawn about the law, that the law was bad or that the law is now dead. And therefore, we should pay no attention to God's law and God's commands. And why even read the Old Testament at all? Let's just get rid of it, right? But Paul's going to show us later in this chapter that the law is not bad at all. He says in Romans 7, verse 12, you can look just down a little farther in your Bibles. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Right? The law is not bad here. And so I think the best understanding of this illustration is that humanity is the woman, her first husband is Adam, and her new husband is Christ. All right, now stick with me. I know you're thinking, where did he even draw Adam from? But just stick with me, all right? The humanity is the woman, her first husband is Adam, and her new husband is Christ. Now, why do I suggest that to you in understanding this illustration? Well, I can suggest that because of what we learned in Romans 5. We learned in Romans 5 that in God's goodness and his wisdom, he has decided to deal with humanity through a representative, either Christ as our representative or Adam as our representative, right? We learned that we are either in Christ or we are in Adam, We then learned in chapter 6, verse 6, that our old man, our old self, who we were in Adam, has been crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, right? So we see this progression, chapter 5, of understanding we're either in Christ or in Adam. We then see in chapter 6 that our old man, who we were in Adam, has been crucified. And now here we get this marriage illustration of dying to the old husband so we can belong to another. And so in this illustration, we see that we were bound by the law to who we were in Adam, And because of our sin, the law condemned who we were in Adam. But the law was good. The law was good. We were the problem. Our sin was the problem. We were bound by the law's curse and condemnation because of who we were in Adam. We were sinners in Adam. And so that's the 
That's the illustration here. Humanity is the woman. Her first husband is Adam, or who she was in Adam, and her new husband is now Christ. And so don't, don't get too confused by that illustration. The main point is that our new husband is Christ. All right, that's the main point, if you don't follow with me through that whole illustration. The point is that our new husband is Christ, that now we belong to him, and we are joined with him. And that's going to propel us kind of the rest of the way in this sermon, being joined now with Christ. But before we get more into this new husband and new relationship we have with Christ, let's stop and talk a little bit more about the law this morning. All right, because Paul talks about the law a lot throughout the book of Romans, but we see the bulk of it here in chapter 7. And so we do have to, I have to step out of the preaching pulpit for a moment. We'll get into the classroom to talk about the law of God and how that comes into play here in, in Romans and in Romans 7. For us to really understand what Paul means when he talks about the law of God, it's helpful to understand the three aspects of the law that we see throughout God's word, all right? In God's word, we have the moral law, we have the ceremonial law, and we have the civil law, all right? Those are the three aspects of the law, and if you don't understand those three aspects, that's where you can feel like your relationship with the law starts getting pretty complicated, especially when you're reading Leviticus, all right? Now, the moral law, the first aspect of the law, is the foundational law. You know, when we think of the Ten Commandments or some of these foundational commands that we see of God laid out in the Old Testament but also reiterated in the New Testament, and the moral law of God is still very much applicable and important for Christians today. Another aspect of the law, though, is the ceremonial law, and this refers to the aspect of the law in the Old Testament that consisted of sacrifices and cleanliness and the tabernacle and the temple and how we worship, how we approach God, and all this ceremonial law, much of it has been fulfilled through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so learning about the ceremonial law in Leviticus, it does give us a greater appreciation for the sacrifice of Christ. But it's not directly always applicable to us today and why we don't sacrifice any animals when we gather to worship. We then have the civil law, all right? And the civil law is the aspect of the law that was specifically for the nation of Israel and how they were to conduct their civil government. And while we can certainly take principles from this, there's certainly an aspect of the moral law in those laws, and we can take those and and with wisdom apply them to our culture and context. These are not necessarily always directly applicable to us, but in most of them, we do find a part of God's moral law that should be taken with wisdom and applied in our context. And so those are three aspects of the law, all right? The moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. But what's the purpose of the law? All right, those are the three aspects, but what's the purpose of the law? Well, first, the law reveals to us the holy nature and character of God. You learn a lot about someone by the commands that they have. A God who instructs us not to murder one another must really value life, right? A God who tells us not to lie to one another must really value truth. A God who tells us not to steal from one another must really value hard work. A God who tells us to honor our father and mother. There it is. I didn't think we had a Father's Day. Honor your father and mother. A God who tells us to do that must really value uh, positions of authority in the family, right? 
And we could, we could keep going. And I would love to, once we're done preaching through Romans, I would love to preach through the Ten Commandments with the emphasis being on how the law of God reveals to us the holy nature and character of God. The law of God is holy and righteous and good, and it reveals to us more about our great God. Another purpose of the law is that it shows us how to love God and love others. Now, certainly the law could be summed up by this, by love God and love others, but the law shows us how to love one another, right? If you want to know how to love the brother or sister sitting next to you, we don't necessarily have to take our cues from the world around us. We can learn from the the law of God, right? Uh, If you want to love the person sitting next to you, start out by not coveting anything they have, right? Don't bear false witness about them. Speak the truth to them. Right? The law shows us how to love God and love others. You want to love God? Like, have no other gods before him. Topple over the idols in your life. Confess them. Turn from them, right? The law shows us how to love God and love others. The law reveals to us the holy nature and character of God. But get this, the law also reveals to us our own sinfulness. And next week, we'll see what Paul says in verse 7, Romans 7, verse 7. He's going to say, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law does not cause sin, but it reveals to us and defines to us the sin that is already there. It shows us that we do stand condemned by it because of the sinfulness of our hearts and the sinfulness of our hands. And so ultimately what the law gloriously does is it leads us to Christ, right? For in it we see God's holiness, we see our sinfulness, and we see that we stand condemned before God deserving of death in the courtroom of a just God, for we have broken the law of the Holy One, and we need a Savior. We needed the one who would come and obey the law for us. We needed the one who would come and take the penalty for breaking the law instead of us. And we needed the one who would come and give us a new relationship with the law. And this is what Christ has done for you, church. Look back with me at Romans 7 verse 4, to see this new relationship we now have with the law. He says in Romans 7, verse 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, notice he doesn't say that the law has died. He says the old you, who you were in Adam, died to the law when Christ died. This is very similar to how we previously learned that we had died to sin, right? You remember we just learned this? We died to sin. To die to sin doesn't mean that sin no longer exists or that its presence still doesn't have to be considered in our lives. No, to die to sin means that we are no longer under the penalty or the power of sin. And in a similar way, 
To die to the law means that we have died to the penalty and condemning power of the law. To die to sin means we are no longer under the penalty and power of sin. And in a similar way, to die to the law means that we have died to the penalty and condemning power of the law. Who we were in Adam was crucified with Christ. And isn't what, this what we celebrated and illustrated with our baptisms a couple of weeks ago? That who these people were in Adam, that person stood under the penalty and condemning power of the law. But when Christ died through faith, they died with him. Who they were in Adam, the old man died with Christ were, and they were buried and they were raised to newness of life. And so now as we have been raised to newness of life, okay, the law can still reveal to us the holy nature and character of God. The law has not died. The law can still reveal to us the holy nature and character of God. The law can still guide us in how we are to love God and others. It can still show us the sin that still remains in our life. It's not that we should have no relationship with the law. But for those who are in Christ, you no longer stand under the penalty and condemning power of the law. You now have a new relationship with the law. And chapters 6 and 7, they are building to a glorious crescendo in chapter 8, verse 1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good and holy and righteous law of God that bound you to the punishment of a rebellious sinner, listen, that rebellious sinner has been crucified with Christ. The law is no longer Lord over us because the old us has died and the new us is in Christ. And what glorious and gracious news that is, church. Now the question is, have we been crucified with Christ so that now we can live free from the law and live however we want? And Paul's still right answering this question in chapter 6. Like, should we keep pursuing sin so that grace may abound? He says, no. He says, we have died to the law through the body of Christ so that we may belong to another to Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead and who will never die again. And there's then a, a purpose here in this new marriage. The purpose is not just so that we can get into heaven someday. The purpose in belonging to Christ is so that we may bear fruit for God. That our lives would be productive and produce good fruit for the glory of God. You now belong to Christ that you might produce good fruit for God. When a person is united to Christ, they bear fruit for God, church. They bear fruit for God. But you can't bear fruit for God if the law is still your Lord. If you are still living under the condemning power of the law, if you are still living like the law is Lord, then you will simply pursue being good instead of bearing good fruit for God. You see? If you are living like the law is Lord, you will be more consumed about pursuing being good instead of bearing good fruit for God, right? And here, here's what I mean. 
If you are not trusting Christ's righteousness for your right standing with God, then you are stuck living like the law is Lord. And you'll constantly be pursuing just being good, and you'll miss out on the joy of bearing good fruit for God. For example, you might be consumed with trying to be a good Christian. All right, And you can, you can replace Christian with, with whatever other word you want to. Some of you are consumed with trying to be a, a good worker, a good husband, a good wife, a good mother, a good father, a good uh, friend, right? If that's your ultimate pursuit, you get consumed with that. It can, it can take you away from actually bearing good fruit for God. Because when you live like the law is Lord, you quickly find out that you can't actually keep the actual law of God, and so instead you create your own law or a lesser version uh, that you think you can keep, all right? This is what we do, all right? And so all of you, as far as what you think of being a good Christian is, you've got kind of your own law in your head of what, you're, what it means to be a good Christian. You're going to do this, this, and this, and you're not going to do this, this, and this. And at the end of the day, you're going to measure yourself up to that law of what you think being a good Christian is, and you will either become prideful over meeting that law, or you will become uh, despairing because you have fallen short. You see, you see, when, when we have our measurements and our law that we're pursuing and trying to live up to, you will either become prideful over exceeding it, or you will despair in over following short. And the important part about both of those errors is that you are not bearing fruit for God. You see, at the end of the day, when the law is your Lord, and even your own law and your head is your Lord, even good stuff that is produced is ultimately for your glory and your pride, not God's. And church, we are called to bear fruit for God. For God. And it's not fruit that we can can be manufactured by our own power. It's not fruit that we can pursue with this joyless, dutiful obedience to the law for fear of being rejected by God. Listen, if you are living like God's acceptance of you and your acceptance of you is determined by your righteousness today, then the law is your Lord. If you are living like God's acceptance of you and your acceptance of you is determined by your righteousness today, then the law is your Lord. And there's a different power and motivation that is behind living for your acceptance as opposed to living from your acceptance. All right, I'll say that again. There's a different power and motivation that is behind living for your acceptance as opposed to living from your acceptance in Christ. Look at verse 6, because he tells us how good fruit will be grown here. In Romans 7, verse 6, he says, But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We bear fruit for God and we serve him in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Here Paul is trying to help us understand the glory of the new covenant versus the old covenant. The prophets in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the new age, the new covenant, the new creation that would be inaugurated with the coming of the Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we are so blessed, church, to live in this age and to live under the new covenant. This new covenant that Christ enacted when he shared a meal with his disciples the night he was betrayed and arrested. This new covenant that was spoken of by the prophets long before 
the Lord declared to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. When Paul's talking about serving in the new way of the Spirit, he's not throwing the law out. He's saying that once, what was once an external duty is now going to become an internal delight through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God says under the new covenant, his people will intimately know him and love him from the least to the greatest, not just the priests and pastors, right? All of his people will know him and love him and can approach him. Under the new covenant, the people of God will live and serve standing on the foundation that their iniquity has been forgiven and their sin is no longer being held against them. Serving in the new way of the Spirit is not serving in a self-condemning way, measuring yourself up to the external law of God or the own law you have for yourself in your head. Serving in the new way is delighting in the law of God. Serving in the new way is trusting that what God has commanded of his people, he will in fact create in his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord also spoke to the prophet Ezekiel in regards to the new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, And I will give you a new heart, And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and get this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Serving in the new way is trusting that God, what God has commanded of his people, he will create in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Jesus Christ, our new husband, who we have been bound to, purchased all of this by his blood. These are blood-bought promises and covenants, right? We are no longer bound by the law to who we were in sin. We are now bound to Christ. We belong to him. And bearing fruit for God, yes, is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it is motivated by the love of Christ. It is motivated by this this new one that we are now bound to. And so the question that these verses confront us with is this. Is the law our Lord or is the Lord our love? Is the law our Lord, 
or is the Lord our love? Now, maybe I'm trying to be too cute with the wordsmithing there, and if that's so, you can throw that out, okay? But for me, that, that, that'll be how I remember these six verses in Romans 7. Is the law our Lord, or is the Lord our love? All right, well, let's talk about that. Is the law your Lord? Are, are you living in a way that you think you can live up to the law for your justification, for your right standing with God? Are you living in a way? Are you living for your acceptance or are you living from your acceptance? Are you trusting Christ for your justification and now your love for the Lord is motivating and driving you to delight in the law and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit for God? You see, the beautiful thing about being justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is that now it is a love for the Lord that motivates and drives us to delight in the law of God and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit for God. Is the law our Lord or is the Lord our love? Because that changes things. That changes how we bear good fruit for God. Before Brittany and I got married, I would never have given a thought to photography. Uh, And still to this day, I don't care for any photo shoots that I have to be in. And I know many of you men don't uh, as well, because I am there watching you, pouting as you are taking family photos. But Britt really loves photography. Britt really loves photography, and I love her. I, I, I love watching her light up as she gets a camera in her hands, as she's uh, you know, scanning the park for the right setting and backdrop, as she's waiting for the right timing of the sun and the sunlight and adjusting the settings and getting families all adjusted and kids all together. Like I, th- That's exciting for me to watch the one that I love love something. Right, and so so I'm I'm all for these photo shoots. Even at times, I've I've held up like the reflectors. I've been the reflector guy. You know, you hold the little reflectors to help the light get shines on. I've tried to get the kids looking at the camera and making silly faces to get them to look. And I'm all for her getting the equipment she needs for editing and all that. Right now, I now now do I do that because I have willpowered myself into loving photography. Have I sat in my room and just said, I will love photography. I will love photography. I will love photography. No. Brit is my love. And she loves photography. And therefore, I love photography. You see, when we try to serve God and bear fruit in the old way and not in the new way of the Spirit, we, 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 we do this. We, we try our hardest to love a certain difficult person, right? I will love this person. I will love this person. I will love this person. And we try in our own strength to do it, and nah. But then we remember that we belong to Christ. And we look to him. And we remember that the Lord Jesus is now our love. And we have been bound to him. And we look to him. And we see him loving this difficult person. We see him dying for this difficult person. We see him serving this difficult person. And by the power of the Spirit, something then happens in us. We start loving this person as well. 
It was not fruit that we in our own power could produce. It was fruit we could only pursue by looking to Christ. It was only the love of Christ that could produce, us, could produce that in us, right? I mean, think about this. We try hard to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient, right? The guys gather in city group talking about prayer requests. We need to be patient, right, with our kids. Pray that we'll be patient, right? We want to be patient. Now, the problem is, like, a lot of times with our patience, right, we will be patient with people up to a certain point. But once they've, they've, they've exceeded our law of what we can be patient with, once they've exceeded that, then it's really difficult, right, if, if the law is our Lord. But instead of just willpowering ourselves to be patient with someone, what if instead we look to Christ, our spouse, and we see, wow, Christ loves being patient with me, <laughs> And he will create in me what he commands of me. And I'm going to enjoy living under the patient love of Christ for me, towards me. And then I'm going to watch the fruit of patience be produced in my own life. But it won't because you willpowered or made yourself be patient with others. It will be from you enjoying and living under the patient love of Christ. This is how good fruit will be grown here. When the Lord Jesus is our love, we look to him. We belong to him. We join with him. And through the power of the Spirit, this fruit is produced in us. This is now the new way that we step out to serve. We don't step out to serve in an attempt to be good or to earn our acceptance from God. We step out to serve because we love Jesus. The love of Christ is what motivates now our serving. Right? For example, if I stepped up here motivated by the desire to be a good preacher... Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to desire that, but if that was my main motivation, if I stepped up here with a motivation to be a good preacher, listen, things could get really unhealthy really quickly. Instead, I step up here because I love Jesus, and I belong to him, and I want to be faithful to him, and I will trust God for whatever fruit comes. I step out to serve because I love Jesus, and I know Jesus loves you, right? And so in the same way, in the same way, when you step in to serve in whatever roles that God has given you, in whatever job or vocation you have, when you step onto the floor of your work, the ultimate motivation cannot just be to be a good worker. The ultimate motivation is we are stepping in to serve and do this task because we love Jesus, and we are going to be faithful to him today. And I'm telling you, you watch. That is what will produce lasting fruit in your life. And yes, of course you will be a good worker if everything you're doing is being done to the glory of God, if everything you're doing is motivated by the love of Christ and Christ's love for the people around you. This is the new way that we serve. We don't serve for our acceptance. We don't serve to achieve good status. We serve because we love Jesus. And we are bound to him. And enjoying being bound to him, that is what will produce good fruit for God in our lives. Church, through faith in Christ, we have died 
to the law's condemnation of who we were. And we now have a new relationship with the law and with Christ. The law is no longer our Lord. The Lord is now our love. And the law is now our delight because through it, we learn how to love our Lord more. And it is he who provides us the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to produce fruit and the right motivation to pursue fruit. Bow with me in prayer as the worship team comes back up.